As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to episode 177 of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. I'm Adam. How is life in our new world treating you? Are you managing okay? Today we are picking up the story from last week, but before we do, let's check out the music we were listening to at the time of today's events. Top of the UK charts was my tribute to my work colleagues, someone I used to know, from Goitia, if that's correct, featuring Kimbra. In the US, Rihanna featuring Calvin Harris was in the top spot with We Found Love. And in the Australian album charts, 21 from Adele was still in the number one position. In the news this month, tens of thousands of people were stranded by floods in the Australian states of New South Wales and Queensland. Queen Elizabeth II celebrated the 60th anniversary of becoming British monarch, becoming only the second to do so. Who knows what will happen when her reign concludes. Yemeni voters were excited to go to the polls for a presidential election where the only candidate on the ballot paper was was the vice president of the country. Oh dear. Makes the UK democracy look top notch. And the Occupy London protesters were evicted from St Paul's Cathedral. And in UK true crime news, thirsty Falkirk MP Eric Joyce was charged with three counts of common assault after a disturbance at a House of Commons bar. And tragically, David Rathband, the policeman blinded by gunman Raoul Moat during the 2010 shootings, was found dead at his home in Blythe, Northumberland. Have you guessed the month? It was February 2012. I should say a quick thank you to all my Patreon supporters. I really appreciate your support. If you haven't done so already, head on over to our Patreon-only Facebook group. It's all there on Patreon at patreon.com slash UK True Crime. It's fun. So last week we heard that following the jailing of Abdullah Bebasin, the fight was on for control of the lucrative Turkey to London heroin market. We heard how after being slapped in the face in the Manor Club in Finsbury Park, North London, Kermot Amagan, who led a gang known as the Hackney Bombers, declared vengeance on the rival gang known as the Tottenham Boys. This led to tit-for-tat attacks and murders on the streets of London and southern Turkey. When we left the story last week in October 2009, an innocent man was caught up in the gang warfare. 21-year-old Kem Dusgan was murdered when playing pool with his friends in the Clapton FC club, a Turkish social club in Upper Clapton Road. Nothing to do with the feud, just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And the feud continued. But the next major act of violence was on the 1st of February 2012. 
This time it was very personal for Kemal Almagan, the leader of the Hackney Bombers, as it was his own brother who lost his life outside Turnpike Lane tube station. On the morning of February 1st, 2012, 32-year-old Ali Armigan parked his Audi A8 in Langham Road, Wood Green, at 2.38pm after taking friends to an appointment at a solicitor's nearby. What he didn't know is that he'd been spotted by 54-year-old minicab driver, Suleiman Tombill, who by all accounts was a respected member of the local Turkish community with no previous convictions. He called his son to say he'd seen Ali, and he alerted members of the Tottenham boys. And shortly afterwards, at about 3.30pm, two masked men approached Ali's car, with one producing a handgun, and he fired six times at the driver's side of the car before fleeing the scene. Ali managed to open the car door and stagger out, but he then collapsed and died. The Met Police suspected, but he didn't ever face trial, that the shooting was carried out by Kemal Erin, who was related to Izzet Erin of the Tottenham Boys, and his right-hand man, Omar Murat. 28-year-old Omar Murat was picked up by the police and did face a 13-day trial at the Old Bailey, but he was found not guilty of murder. He was accused of taking a cab to the scene, masking up, and shooting Ali Armagan six times as he sat in the car. But him being found not guilty meant that none of the six men charged in relation to Ali's death were found guilty of his murder. The minicab driver, Suleiman Tombal, his son and a friend, were charged with conspiracy to cause grievous bodily harm on the basis that they expected Ali Armagan to be beaten up, but not shot and killed. At his trial, Tombal was given eight years in prison, with the other two men getting 11 years. After this case concluded, David Lammy, that most shy of politicians and the MP for Tottenham, said, In 2009, I called for there to be an investment, specifically in tackling the blight of Turkish gangs and the need to recruit more Turkish-speaking officers. From what I hear locally, this hasn't taken place, and it now urgently needs to. He added, It's unacceptable that a handful of thugs are being allowed to damage the name of London's Turkish-speaking community, and it's even more unacceptable that the law-abiding majority are being left to live in fear of what will become of them and their children. Detective Chief Inspector MacDonald told the BBC, The Turkish community are vastly law-abiding and bring a great deal to the capital, and these individuals are not a true reflection of their community at large. They are just criminals. I would urge those involved to stop this mindless violence, which is not achieving anything and is just hurting people, including their families. Just stop it. Operation Trident have ways of helping people out of the criminal gang networks, but if they continue with their criminal lifestyle, we will catch up with them. And later that year, on the 1st of December 2012, in Elbistan, Turkey, the prime suspect in the killing of Ali Armigan, known by the nickname No Fingers, and believed to have fled the UK to evade arrest after the murder of Ali, was involved in an instance where he was shot and paralysed. And later that month, on the evening of the 30th of December 2012, Inan Erin, another leading member of the Tottenham Boys, was shot and wounded, being left with a permanent limp 
Three men, not members of either gang, but hitmen for hire, accepted the job for the Hackney Bombers to kill Inan Erin. It was thought they were selected as they were not part of the community, and so suspicion wouldn't fall upon them. Those three men, Christopher Annan, Tyrone Wright and Jamie Marsh-Smith, waited for Inan to arrive home to his house in Enfield, North London. As he did so, the man with the gun, Marsh-Smith, fired at him from the middle of the road. His wife was at the window and as the first shot missed the target, she was hit by breaking glass and lucky to escape serious injury. Marsh-Smith was taking no further chances as he fired again at much closer range hitting Inan three times in the arm, stomach and leg. Incredibly, Inan managed to escape to a local shop where his wife found him and he was taken to hospital, but as I said, he suffered permanent injuries. The getaway car was later discovered on fire, not far from Marsh Smith's address, and evidence in the car pointed detectives clearly in the direction of Marsh Smith, Inan and Wright. The case went to court and the three would-be assassins were found guilty. Speaking afterwards, Detective Chief Inspector Noel McHugh, the senior investigating officer, said, Anan and Wright conspired with Marsh Smith and accepted a contract on Inan's life. The sad reality being they wouldn't even have been paid much money for their part in the attempt to murder him. They were motivated purely by money and they had no dispute with their victim. These are professional and dangerous criminals, but through extensive and painstaking detective work, we were able to piece together the evidence that has resulted in them being sent to prison for lengthy sentences. The conviction of Annan and Wright means that the dangerous and violent criminal syndicate they were part of has now been sentenced to over 119 years in prison. When Inan Erin survived the attack, the target shifted to his cousin, Zafir Erin, another leading member of the Tottenham boys, and this time the hit was successful, as Zafir was killed on the doorstep of his home in Southgate, North London. And the killer, still on the loose at the time, was that same hitman, Jamie Marsh Smith. This time he was helped by another driver, known as Samuel Zerai. Marsh Smith and Samuel Zerai were sentenced to life in prison. When I cover stories like this about gang members, Some people will say they've got no sympathy, that these people in gangs got what was coming to them and if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Even if this is how you feel, I suggest you still have to be a little bit moved by the personal devastation caused to those around the men involved. For example, in this case, Zafir's wife said, This has had a devastating impact on our life. Our baby was only 26 days old when Zafir was killed on my doorstep. Marsh Smith and Zerai have shown no remorse for their actions. And just days after Zafir's murder, the court heard how Marsh Smith then tried to kill his getaway driver, Samuel Zerai, as he was concerned he would turn him into the authorities. His lawyer said, Zerai was the driver of that car and the gunman he drove to and from the scene and sat with for an hour as they waited for Zafir Aaron to come home was Marsh Smith. Zerai suffered gunshot wounds in Tottenham, but he survived the attack and managed to text his brother to alert him to who had shot him. His lawyer argued that the fact his client had been shot himself was a mitigating factor in his crime, and that he was now a marked man in prison, adding, 
A key fact in this case is that as a consequence of the part Samuel Zerai played on the 18th of April, he found himself with bullets in his arm and a grazing bullet to his neck, lying on the floor facing Mr Marsh Smith and with a gun pointing at him. During the moments that followed he expected to die. He was sure he was about to be shot in the face and killed. It is pure luck that Samuel Zerai is here today. He knows directly what the consequences of gang-related violence are. For the Tottenham boys, Zafir's death had to be avenged. And so it was on the 13th of October of that same year that Izit Erin, him again, and his accomplice, Erwin Amma Gamafi, were en route to carry out their revenge. But unbeknown to them, detectives had received intelligence about their plans and they were waiting for them. The two men were stopped by armed officers on a stolen motorbike in Stamford Hill. Both wore balaclavas and in his bag Erin had a loaded pistol that was ready to fire. In a bag dropped nearby, officers recovered a loaded Scorpion submachine gun. The intelligence that both men had been on their way to carry out a killing looked to be accurate and both men were taken from the scene and taken into custody. But Izzet Erin had no intention of spending a long spell in prison, so he used his cousin, Oscan Erin, to recruit a team to break him out of prison as he was transferred to Wood Green Court for sentencing from Wormwood Scrubs. To make this plan happen, a black Audi estate car had been stolen from the dress in Fulham in the summer of 2015 and was under the control of Oscan Erin. But unfortunately for him, detectives were a step ahead and had installed a listening device in the car, so they were fully aware of what was going on. If you remember at the very start of last week's podcast, I mentioned Jermaine Baker. And here is where we meet the 28-year-old father of two for the first time. Jermaine was in the front seat of the Audi at about 8am on the 11th of December, parked close to Woodgreen Crown Court, and according police, it contained Jermaine and two others intent on springing is it Aaron? In the car with Jermaine were two others, Mason and Soku Kalki. In the back footwell of the car was a replica Uzi, along with ski masks and balaclavas. Soku Kalki was wearing a coat, five tops, and three pairs of tracksuit bottoms. Mason was wearing a ski mask, dark hat, latex gloves, under a pair of woolen gloves, long johns under dark jogging bottoms, a tracksuit top and a coat. Detectives said they believed this was to reduce their forensic opportunities, conceal their identities and help their escape by quickly changing their appearance. As well as being his cousin, Oskan Erin was a trusted and intimate lieutenant of Izzet Erin's and he acted as a lookout and he checked the possible routes the prison van might take. Oskan Erin and Erin Heiser were in the control car it was a hired Audi S-Line estate and for the gang's operation was parked up in Warwick Road, North 11. Izzet Erin had a mobile phone on him inside the prison van. Come on, you're not really surprised. As it travelled from Wormwood Scrubs to the court and he was able to text the rest of the gang, letting them know the reg number of the van and the cell he was in. And Oscan Erin passed this information to the rest of the gang. But due to the police intelligence, soon after the prison van passed Oscan Erin, he was arrested. But he realised the plan had been compromised and he managed to alert his cousin, 
and a search of the prison van later showed Izzet Erin's mobile phone, which contained text messages to and from his cousin, and it was broken into many pieces and concealed in a healing duct. The mobile phone was made of plastic, detectives believed to make it easier to hide during any search. Next, armed police surrounded the other car involved in the operation, the Black Audi. But while Mason and Sogolaki were arrested, Jermaine Baker was shot and killed by a Met Police marksman. The officer, only known as W80, claimed he had acted in self-defence, fearing that Jermaine was reaching for a gun. No firearm was found, but police did recover the imitation Uzi machine gun in the rear of the car. Jermaine died from a single gunshot wound. He was 28 and a father of two. I appreciate that for many of you this is a difficult subject. Many will feel that police officers holding firearms have to make judgment calls based on what they see at the time, as if what W80 said was correct, then lives were in danger. But Jermaine's family and many others feel differently, and they believe they have not had justice for Jermaine. The Crown Prosecution Service investigated the shooting, following a referral by the Independent Police Complaints Commission, after evidence was uncovered that could have pointed towards a criminal offence being committed by the officer through using excessive force. But the CPS concluded there was not enough evidence to secure a conviction, saying, The officer claimed to have acted in self-defence, believing that Mr Baker was reaching for a firearm in a bag he was wearing, and that he and his colleagues were in imminent danger of being shot. As a result of operational briefings, the officers reasonably believed that the men in the car were dangerous individuals who were armed and prepared to use their weapons to achieve their criminal purpose. Although armed police may use lethal force where necessary in the line of duty, they are subject to the same laws of self-defence and the use of reasonable force as any member of the public. This means that the actions of an officer, including the use of preemptive shots with intent to kill, will be judged on whether they were reasonably necessary in the circumstances, as he honestly believed them to be, even if that belief is mistaken. Last year, the Independent Police Office for Police Conduct announced it had directed the Met Police to launch disciplinary proceedings into this officer over alleged use of excessive force. But the police watchdog's decision was quashed by a High Court ruling in August, which found it had applied the wrong legal tests to order the gross misconduct hearing, so this did not go ahead. The Independent Office for Police Conduct said it had appealed this decision to the Court of Appeal, and a hearing is expected to take place later this year. And just last month came the news from Home Secretary Priti Patel that a full inquiry will soon begin to examine the circumstances around what happened and act as the inquest into the death of Jermaine. As I said before, his family and friends have fought hard for justice for Jermaine and his mum, Margaret Smith, although welcoming the inquiry, said We first saw the coroner on the 22nd of December 2015. I can't believe that more than four years later we're still waiting. The key thing we want from this inquiry is the truth, the truth, the truth. In the meantime, W80 remains a serving officer. And another officer who was potentially facing disciplinary hearings about Jermaine's death, was allowed to retire in 2016, despite being under investigation. Officer FE16 was not the officer who fired the fatal shot, 
that he was in charge of the tactical operation. The legal action was launched in the name of Jermaine's daughter, known only as A.B., through her mother acting as her litigation friend. Lawyers had sought a court order to stop FE16 from retiring, giving them time to seek judicial review of the Met's decision not to suspend him from duty. They said FE16 should be suspended from duty, which would have meant he would still have been liable to face disciplinary action. But no, the 52-year-old headed off to take up a new career as an advisor to a TV production company. I never quite understand how police forces allow this to happen, do you? Surely, by the very nature of what they do, and the importance of policing on trust, this behaviour, which frankly at the very least looks like evading accountability, undermines the public confidence in the police force. Whatever your thoughts on the killing of Jermaine Baker, I think we can all agree that five years on from the fatal shooting, Jermaine's family and friends, and W80, have had to wait far too long for an official conclusion. Let's hope the inquiry this year gets to the truth of what happened that morning. Let's return to the story and what happened when the cases came to trial. Izzet's cousin, Oskan Erin of Wood Green, pleaded guilty to conspiracy to commit an indictable offence, namely to aid the escape of Izzet Erin from lawful custody and possession of an imitation firearm. He was sentenced to eight and a half years in prison. 25-year-old Erin Hayser of Enfield was found guilty of conspiracy to aid the escape of Izza Erin from lawful custody. He was found not guilty of possession of an imitation firearm. And the two other members of the gang, Nathan Mason and Gokai Sakalki, pleaded guilty to conspiracy to aid the escape of Izza Erin from lawful custody and possession of an imitation firearm. Mason was sentenced to six years and two months in prison. And Sagalki, who was sitting directly behind Jermaine Baker when he was shot, was sentenced for a total of five and a half years in a young offender's institution. On the same day, at the same court, Izzet Erin, who the gang aimed to break free, pleaded guilty to conspiracy to escape lawful custody and possession of an imitation firearm. He was sentenced to eight and a half years to run consecutively to his existing 14-year sentence, which he was attempting to break free from. This means he will now be behind bars for at least 22 and a half years. Detective Chief Superintendent Tom Manson from the Serious and Organised Crime Command said, This was a bold, well-planned and carefully thought-out conspiracy that bears all the hallmarks of professional crime. The team used special mobile phones and SIM cards to communicate on the day of the planned breakout. They put in place anti-surveillance techniques, their own surveillance unit and a command structure to run the operation. The escape attempt was stopped by officers from the Serious and Organised Crime Command supported by specialist firearms officers. So what do you make of what you've heard today and last week? I began the podcast last week by planning to tell the story of Jermaine Baker. But when I began to look for context to the story, it took me right back to that slap in the Manor Club in Finsbury Park. And there are numerous other incidents not covered in the two episodes, which could have been podcasts in their own rights. When I reflect on the story personally, it's the individual stories that hit me the hardest, the lives damaged forever. 
Jermaine Baker's two children growing up without their dad. The family and friends of 21-year-old Kemp Duxon murdered when out playing pool with his mates. And of course, innocent part-time shopkeeper Harmit Pytak killed in front of his son whilst closing the shop. And so many more. And all for what? Okay, the heroin and money will always drive people wanting the lifestyle, the cash and the respect in the communities. I get that. But the thing with gangs that always hits me is just how futile it all is. Straight out of the playground rules and actions, but with much higher stakes and of course much more severe consequences for those affected. And as we all know, similar gang warfare, and that isn't too strong a word, is it? Is going on all around the UK and the world. With everything else that's going on right now, it's pretty depressing, isn't it? Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story or any other aspect of UK True Crime, please join the UK True Crime Facebook group. There's now almost 26,000 members. You'll be made very, very welcome. And to support the show, please head to patreon.com slash UK True Crime. As well as all the bonus episodes and exclusive content, we have that exclusive Facebook group just for Patreon supporters. So head on over to Patreon now and come and join us for some real good intimate UK true crime chat on Facebook. So that's all from me for today. Thank you again so much for listening. Take it easy, stay safe, stay inside, and I'll speak to you next week. Stay classy. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.